right, so the Charlotte City Council last night held a public hearing on the maps that will determine the council districts okay, going forward for the next decade. There are seven districts. One of them is going to be left alone, District 7. This is held by Ed Driggs, Republican. And all of the others are getting tweaked because as the population has grown in Charlotte, uh, you, you take the total population, you divide by seven, and you come out to roughly, it's like 125,000 people per district, I think. And uh, you want each district to be, you know, plus or minus within a margin of error, like you want it to be roughly the same. So you don't have one district that's got, you know, all the people and one that doesn't, and then they are given equal weight. That's in violation of the one person, one vote rule. So Charlotte City Council holds this hearing last night. First up, this was um, Mac McCarley's former Charlotte City attorney. He's also now an attorney with Parker Poe. He was in charge of the map drawing. The city council gave it to uh, to these outside consultants to draw the maps. They gave now the city council gave McCarley and his team. I guess they gave them um, parameters, criteria that they have to follow. And I've said this before that the criteria dictates the outcome. Okay, the reason why the districts are staying very similar to what they are now for the next ten years is because. The criteria was given to the map drawer, and the criteria forces an outcome. It forces this status quo kind of an outcome. So we're still going to have seven districts that look very, very similar. But there have to be some changes made. So first up, here's Mac McCarley. He explained how there are competing criteria that are used when drawing these lines. The tension here is between communities of interest and a concern over segregated housing patterns. Nothing about your districting system creates or exacerbates those housing patterns. Those are driven by something entirely different. I I can't imagine that any realtor is ever asked, what council district will this house be in? They will be asked, what school district it's in? But I doubt anybody ever asks, what council district is this going to be in? So it doesn't exacerbate those. The tension is between that issue on the one hand, that we recognize we have some segregated housing, housing patterns. And on the other hand, communities of interest. The case law would say that keeping communities of interest together is a positive benefit. It's good. So in all three of these change maps, for example, we have kept the racial balance as close as possible to the existing racial balance for districts three, two, and four, so that we didn't upset the ability of those districts to continue to elect historic to continue to elect black candidates if that is the will of the people in that district. That was a critical issue, looking at that top-line number for the percentage of black population in those. And it's very similar in all three, uh, all four of the change maps, uh, and all of them are very close to what they are today. So do I believe that your districting decisions drive housing patterns? No, ma'am, I don't. I believe that they may be a result of housing patterns more than they are causes for housing patterns. Right. Does that make sense? There is this tension, right? And by the way, Braxton Winston, councilman, uh, you know, who, who used the uh, the protests to uh, to launch his political uh, career, uh, he's a city councilman now. He keeps you know making this point that you know all like with zoning and the, the 
the neighborhoods and uh, uh, the redistricting. He had them draw up all these different maps, blow it all up, like change all the lines and segregated housing patterns, created the districts. And that's it's the districts were created by politicians to try to ensure their power. Now, there's a bit of history that uh, a guy named Harry Taylor comes uh, later on to discuss, and I'll get to that. So this now comes from the, the key. The key to all of this is one neighborhood in particular, Hidden Valley, the Hidden Valley uh, community. Their uh, their neighborhood, their area, comprise is comprised of several precincts, right? A couple of them, and so they're now going to separate the Hidden Valley community and put them into different city council districts. Right? They're not moving anybody, you know, physically, but the map is going to change, and so. There are going to be people who were in Malcolm Graham's district, Councilman Graham's district four. They're going to move to a different one, right? They're now going to be in district one. And this has a lot of the neighborhood activists upset. And the reason why is because district one is too white. I'm not kidding. This is their argument. Take a listen. My name is Charlene Henderson, and I am the precinct chair of 82. And I just want to say, by beginning, the Voters' Right Act of 65 and 68 defines a map A as the only redistricting map that does not result in a denial or dilution of the voting strength of precincts 42 and 82. Pursuant to Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, did the city submit the proposed redistricting map to the Department of Justice to obtain a Pre-clearance, there is no possible way that map B and C produce racially discriminatory effects in relation to the Hidden Valley's all-black voting record in the last 10 census periods. Voting rights... Act map requires that requirements are mandatory and the city must guarantee that Hidden Valley, a community of color, has the power to elect the candidate of color. Mr. McCarley preferred map B and C considering only one factor according to his statement at that time to Councilman Graham. The numbers relate to the demographics. Mr. McCarley preferred maps are um, excuse me, definitions of a denial and dilution. Maps B and C are as, as racially polarized as they are unconstitutional. That's true, the Voting man. Rights Act I mentioned are related entirely to racial fairness. The city has a uh, legal obligation under the federal law to protect its citizens from denial and dilution of our Voting Rights Act. The dis- District 1 all white voting record exempts it from being a community of interest. Map A is the only map that protects and preserves Hidden Valley all black voting record. Map A is the only map that guarantees the federally protected constitutional right to vote with racial fairness. So, District 1, that is currently represented by Larkin Eggleston, previously Patsy Kinsey represented it for years, right? And because District 1 has elected white Democrats, the people of Hidden Valley neighborhood, they don't want to be in District 1 because they want a black city council person. That's their argument. And they're saying that the city is going to get sued. They threatened a, they're, they're threatening a lawsuit against the city under the Voting Rights Act because they're not getting preclearance from the U.S. Department of Justice for these maps. Uh, We'll hear Mac McCarley's response to this, but uh, spoiler alert. uh, Yeah, none of that stuff applies. (laughs) Sorry, it doesn't. It it doesn't. I mean, first off, preclearance doesn't even exist any longer. 
right? So they're using they're using outdated legal statutes. There is no more preclearance for North Carolina maps. Okay, but what they're arguing is that is an argument that they have made at the state level before and over the course of the last uh, decade. Democrats have made this argument that you're you're cracking essentially the uh, black population of the Hidden Valley. This is the argument being advanced by the Hidden Valley folks against a predominantly black city council. Just to, I mean, for real, like we just need to keep that in mind here that the city council is made up of there are there are five of the eleven council seats are held by African Americans. There is one Indian. So now that's six of eleven people of color. Um, Tark Bokhari of Asian uh, uh, descent as well. The mayor is black. So basically four of the 12 city elected slots are Caucasians. But we are to believe that this is some nefarious effort by the Democrats uh, of color to crack the uh, the Hidden Valley neighborhood in order to dilute their representation. It's just it's not a believable argument. Um, it's just not believable. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Ooh, Megan McCain bombshell memoir details heartbreaking abuse she suffered at the hands of liberal co-hosts that forced her to quit The View. I'll take links I will not be clicking for 200, Alex. Thank you. Okay, um, so last night the Charlotte City Council held a public hearing on its redistricting maps. Once again... Uh, I've been, I mean, we've been covering this topic for uh, several weeks now because it really is important. The topic that, you know, just got through mentioning the the water system, the water main break and all that, that is like core local government service, right? And so the people who we elect to put in charge of these core services is really important. These are the people that have direct impacts on uh, our lives every single day. Potholes, water lines, zoning, property values, schools, right? All of that. That's why I spend a lot of time talking about local politics and state politics. The federal stuff I follow as well. We talk about it too, but this is really, because to me, this is actually also where you can make the biggest impact is at the local level. And for, unfortunately, a lot of conservatives, right of center folks, uh, have over the years preferred to escape rather than to fight. And as the spending got out of control, as we built more and more and more stuff and the property taxes go up, you get a lot of people that left Mecklenburg County. And by the way, Mecklenburg County is not alone. You can look at all of the, uh, the, the large metro areas, the urban areas around the state and around the country and see the same sort of dynamic happening is that as a city gets bigger, you end up with more and more uh, lefties that move in, people who promote more and more government. And I think, by the way, that there is re- there's a real uh, human element to this uh, dichotomy, which is that when you put man inside – and women, sorry, I don't mean to offend, but uh, trying to be exclusionary. But uh, when you put people into cities, a lot of times they kind of forget about God. It's pretty easy to do. It is, because you have all the stuff, right? You have all of this stuff, well, except in Joe Biden's economy. But you have all this stuff, and it's easy to have all of your your 
wants and needs taken care of by the stores all around you and such. And so you look around and you see all of these, you know, architectural feats and these, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say altars to man, but I mean, they are, it's, I mean, to man's achievement, sorry, human's achievement, right? You see like these massive skyscrapers and, and such, and, and, and even, you know, even the art projects that I bash, but these are all human creations, right? And so it's very easy to lose track of, to lose sight of, like, everything else that man didn't make. You go out into the wilderness, and in about a half an hour, I think it's probably roughly how long it takes, you realize, oh, wow, I could, like, I could, like, die very quickly out here. <laughs> That's, and then a little bit later, you realize, wow, it's really, it's beautiful. Like, look at all this stuff that, that God made, right? So I think it's, I, I've just always believed that you put... Humans into cities, and it's very easy to lose track of God. So uh, this is, I think, a lot of the reason why uh, people who are more of a limited government mindset, I think, why they leave, because they value different things than people who pack the city. And that does not mean, though, that a limited government viewpoint necessarily has to lose, right? There can be, and Democrats, they're like, seriously, you guys can have a limited government view, on some things you can just think of it like this. Like, you know, like how on the one issue of abortion, you're like totally for limited government. Just imagine that, but applied to other kinds of topics, right? You don't need government coming in and solving quote unquote, all of these problems or issues. And so that's why this is just sort of the background as to why I do focus on the local stuff. And in particular, the redistricting, because this is going to determine what the city council looks like for the next decade. Now, there have been studies and analysis done on the way cities elect their representatives and whether or not you get a better uh, governance body if you're doing it with districts or you're doing it at large. At large just means like everybody in the city gets to vote for the candidate. So think in Charlotte, it's the mayor, right? They're elected citywide. It's an at-large race. Then you have the districts. Well, in order to draw the districts, you got to go through the redistricting process, and that happens every 10 years, and it's based on the census data. And when you grow, like North Carolina has and like the city of Charlotte has, uh, then you've got to redo the lines. And in Charlotte, you've got seven council districts, and you have four council members that are elected at large. That's been the way it's been for a very long time, okay? Uh, and so that's a total of, uh, what, uh, 11. Yes, very good. Seven districts, four at large. That's 11 council members plus one mayor elected at large as well. So the seven districts are up for redrawing of the lines. One of them is already population-wise, is already good as far as its population goes. But you've got other districts that grew more rapidly than others one shrank a little bit. So you you don't, we're not shrank, it's just not at the optimal uh, uh, population count. So you're, you have to find a way to now move some people around. And now this is the fight. How do you move the people in the precincts? How do you move them around? We're going to get into it up next.
What is going on? Welcome to the show. Happy Tuesday. Don't drink the water. No, no, no. Like they say in Springfield, if it's brown, drink it down. If it's black, send it back. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, and 1-800-WBT-1110. Pete Callender here, The Pete Callender Show. You can email me, Pete, at thepetecallendershow.com. Uh, yeah, so where were you during the great water outage of 2021? I was watching the city council meeting, because that's what I do on Monday nights. I watch the city council meeting, so you don't have to. You're welcome. I'm a giver. So... Uh, as I was watching, my wife comes in uh, and says, hey, the uh, do you see what's going on with the water pressure? I said, no, I do not. I am watching the city council meeting. I'm not running the water. You are running the water, not me. So what's up? And so, sure enough, the water pressure uh, was slowed to a trickle, and then it completely stopped. And so I went on to the Twitter machine, and as I'm doing that, I'm hearing that uh, the city councilman, uh, Larkin Eggleston, that's his name, and uh, he he, re- he reads a tweet from Charlotte Water saying that there's an outage, they are aware of it, uh, and some customers may be experiencing some low water pressure or no water at all. And by some, I think, I think it's fair to say basically like the entire city. At, at one point, it seemed like the entire city, because <laughs> the, the zip codes, well, here, here are the uh, the zip codes hit by the outage. 28105, 28202, 28203, 28205, 28206, 282. I'm just going to, I'll just leave off the, the two eights. How about that? The two eight twos, I'll just, we'll just do the last two digits of them all. All right. So the 02, 03, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, 11, uh, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 28277. There we go. It went all the way down to Steel Creek and all the way to the river and uh, like through South Park up into uh, East Charlotte as well. Just basically every it was like everywhere. And kudos to the crews that got it all fixed and straightened out. It, they, they got the water service restored where I was and uh, within, I don't know, a couple hours. So that was Impressive. Now, there's a water boil advisory. They're saying if you had low water pressure or if it went out, you should be boiling the water, which just uh, just want to make everybody aware. I did not see discolored water this morning when I filled up my coffee pot through the filter. I mean, like I have a filter on the water, um, you know, on the faucet, and I filled up my thing, and it, it didn't look brown, and so I I didn't boil it. And then I found out about the water boil Notice, so if I die or I get sick or something, that's what it's going to be from. Or it's either that or COVID, right? Like one of those two things, that's what's out there. So just if you hear, you know, local radio host uh, hospitalized, I am vaccinated. Do not let them turn me into like some poster child for like, oh, he's not vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. So if I go into the hospital for something, it's probably because I didn't boil my water before I had the coffee, which I was thinking, look, it's a hot plate still, but it gets pretty hot, right? And I just didn't drink the bottom of the pot of coffee. And so I figure everything's settled because that's what happens with the water pipes, right? Like the the water, when you run all the water out of the water pipes, then you end up getting like the sediment and stuff that's at the bottom and the bacteria, whatever, that's at the bottom of the pipes. Ugh. And so 
You don't want to be drinking that, and that's why they say to boil it all. Now, obviously, if you, you know, turn on the water and you got brown water, like, definitely, like, do not drink that, okay? I was just kidding about Springfield's rules. Do not adopt Springfield's rules. It's a cartoon. It's made up. It's fictional. It's the Simpsons' hometown. That's what they say there. But you don't, don't do that. Just turn on your faucet. Let it run for a while. Clear out the brown water, and uh, you should be good to go. Did you see the, the video of the water main break? I saw the video. The water, it looks like a geyser. It looks like Old Faithful. Not kidding. It looks like a geyser that's just erupting. Where was it? At Revolution Park, I think. And it, it like the water was up like 40 feet in the air. And, um, yeah, and the mayor during the, the city council meeting uh, last night, like she gave an update. I saw somebody on Twitter. Why is the city council even talking about anything except this? They need to just suspend the council meeting right now. And they need to like tell us what's happening with the water. Like, do you think that they know anything? They're sitting in a chamber. They're, they're doing their meeting. They're at a rezoning meeting. They're not paying attention to this. Like they, they were made aware of it because Twitter made them aware of it. Right. Somebody told them, Hey, got a water main break. It's pretty big. It's pretty bad. And it is. They don't need to cancel the meeting. Just like what? Are they going to go out there and fix the water main break? Are these like Charlotte water uh, experts or something? Like they're going to be able to like jump in there and put a, uh, you know, put, put a clamp or something on the, the line to stop the water from gushing everywhere. It was crazy. Like 40 feet. I thought it was a fake video. Hashtag fake news. I thought it was. I'm looking at the video. I'm like, surely that's like somebody's just throwing some video on there. You know, like they were posting the videos of um, uh, what's that product you see advertised on TV late night where like the guy drills a hole in his boat and then he, Flex Seal. Is that the name of it? And they got like the tape and you just slap it on the hole and then like it stops the leak. And so people were posting that video and all that. And so I thought that the video of the geyser was just like some, you know, geyser. But no, it was actually, yeah, it was the water main break, which really, that's probably why they were able to identify, like, where the the break was. Because, like, you could see the thing probably from miles away. Like, hey, uh, yeah, I think I know where that water main break is. So kudos to the water crews for getting it, uh, uh, getting it fixed last night. Water boil in effect for, like, another day, maybe two just to be safe. Check for the brown water. Always good advice. Here's... Here's a guy who usually has good advice too, but it's about traffic, not water. And uh, although I shouldn't, I should not limit Boomer Von Cannon to just good advice about traffic. Do you have good advice on water? On the water? Yeah. If it's uh, if it's murky, it looks kind of muddy. Don't drink it. No, that's, <laughs> that's what I think. See, that's pretty good advice. See, so I limited you by saying it's just traffic. See, you got good advice on in various <laughs> various topics. Water can be a mess sometimes. You ever see what it does to a nail? I mean, you think about what is it going to do inside me? That's uh, oh, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Water. So you saying like our stomachs are getting rusty? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness, I never thought of that. <laughs> oh, get some of that quick sale real quick here. <laughs> So analysis shows that cities that have district elections actually have a greater focus on core services, the fulfillment of core services at a local government level versus at large. This was a fight that uh, I fought and did not win. Um, 
in Asheville for many years because their entire city council is elected at large. And what you ended up having was just a few uh, areas of the city that ever send politicians to office. Right. Just like a couple of neighborhoods, they control the whole council. Um, And of course, those are fair maps uh, for the Democrats that run Asheville. Districts protect minority representation, whatever that minority might be, whether it's racial or ethnic or religious or political, it protects minority representation. So there is uh, this this system that the city of Charlotte has, this hybrid of four at large and seven districts, right? The the concept they claim is that it's, you know, you've got the seven districts and they focus on just the the core services, and then you've got the four at large, and they take a larger view of the city's total direction overall, that kind of stuff, which I'm not so sure I buy into that argument so much anymore. I think the city's gotten large enough where I'm not so sure we need the current system, but we'll get to that. Um, First off, we're we're dealing with this Hidden Valley neighborhood argument that they can't have their community precincts split between two different council districts because they want to keep sending a black person to city council. That was their argument. It was explicit. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the folks who showed up and made this argument. Uh, And by the way, also were essentially accusing Mac McCarley, the former city attorney and attorney now for Parker Poe, but also city councilman Malcolm Graham, who is a black Democrat, I guess. Um, not I guess, he is. Uh, but they're accusing him, I guess, of gerrymandering, too. Of illegally gerrymandering in order to dilute the black vote in Hidden Valley. Okay, this is their argument. Section 5 requires the city to submit any redistricting map to the Department of Justice to obtain pre-clearance. The city must demonstrate that the map does not have a racially discriminatory effect like maps B and C. Maps B and C are regressive, not progressive, for Hidden Valley's voting preference. In fact, map A is the only map that does not have a racially discriminatory purpose. See, so they're saying that simply moving two different... To different precincts. They're not splitting precincts. They're, they're saying this one is going to go into District 1. This one's going to go into District District 2. And what the Hidden Valley neighborhood is saying is that we have always sent a black person to city council. We've always voted for a black person for city council. So, therefore, we should never be represented by a white person. They cannot represent us. And uh, if you move us into District 1, that's going to make us less able to send a black person as a district one representative because district four is still going to be more than likely a black representative, but district one has historically voted for white people, white Democrats. They're all Democrats here, (laughs) but, but a white Democrat and a white Democrat just cannot represent the interests of a black Democrat. This is their argument, not mine. Their argument. Map a protects hidden Valley and its voting strength. The U.S. Supreme Court laid out a formula, Mr. McCarley, for determining which communities need VRA districts. VRA districts, Mr. McCarley, Madam Mayor, and City Council, must ensure that communities of color have the power to elect their preferred candidates. The formula considers most factors other than the number, but the city is legally required to consider racial polarization in voting. Voting is polarized when the political preferences of District 1, all white, 
in precincts 82, 42, and 26, all black, differ solely by race. I'm going to finish this right here by saying this right here. District, District 1 has voted for all white candidates. District Four has voted for all black candidates. We can never be a, a community of interest with District 1. Thank you. We can never be a community of interest with District 1. Never. Because race is paramount. Race is paramount. Now, Mac McCarley responded to this argument that the Voting Rights Act means that all of these maps uh, are uh, illegal. Several speakers mentioned that this violates the Voting Rights Act and that it violates the rights of the people in those two precincts. Two quick points. First, several speakers mentioned uh, Section 5 requiring preclearance. The U.S. Supreme Court has struck Section 5 from the Voting Rights Act. It no longer has any validity. The city is not required. No jurisdiction in the country is any longer required to submit their voting changes to the U.S. Justice Department for preclearance. The second thing I would say to you about that issue is that the voting rights of the group are applied to the jurisdiction, not to a precinct. So in this case, where the black voting percentage in District 4 remains within 0.9%, nine-tenths of 1% of any variation, we have protected the voting rights of the black population in District 4. That's the measure. It's not one precinct. It's the the jurisdiction. If we measured it by every precinct, we wouldn't be able to move any precincts. Right. It's not about the precinct. It's about the district. And District 4 losing these precincts to District 1 does not change, does not dilute the voting power of blacks in District 4. In fact... As a matter of fact, it improves the voting power of black voters from Hidden Valley in District 1. It actually increases the percentage of black voters in District 1 to the point where they might actually be able to win another seat. (laughs) They could get two seats. I've never... (laughs) Okay, look, I've never seen so many people come down and be so angry at a plan that's actually going to be of greater benefit to them. Like, you're going to be able to send two city council members. You're going to have an you you will have a chance to send two city council members into office in the, from the Hidden Valley neighborhood. You will be able to do that. You're going to have to work. For di- in District 1, you're going to have to work harder than District 4. But you can do it. All right, we'll get into more of this. Plus some of your uh, emails, phone calls as well after the news.